Christians. Last year, we looked at the theme of be transformed. Now, that concept of being transformed continues this year. Uh, it continues in the Christian life. But on top of that, we're adding love God more. Love God more. That means allow the Lord to do some more things in your life. Be more obedient. Submit yourself to him so that God can bring blessings into your life. Romans 8, we see a great change in the narrative of the scriptures here. We start to see another aspect of what makes up our salvation, but also what makes up the power that we have to go forward in the Christian life. And uh, so many promises in here, so much truth that will really encourage us. And so today I'm probably just going to hit a couple things. I, I was going to read 14 verses, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm just going to read um, four verses, verses one to four, and then I'll start just giving you some things the Lord's laid on my heart. It says in verse number one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That is so powerful, that verse right there. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That, my friend, is our subject. The law of the spirit of life is in God's children. And it's made us free from that law of sin and death where you would have to gone to hell forever to pay for sin that you could never pay because of what Jesus did for you. It says in verse number three, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of his sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you that you just give me strength in my voice right now. And Lord, you bring forward some important truths that we could take home with us this week. And it would help us personally, but help us to tell others as well about how great you are. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this chapter, notice in the last chapter, chapter 7, they, they were using pronouns like I, me, my. And so chapter 7 was about me. I struggle. I battle. I am carnal. I am sold under sin. But now we're going to Romans, cha or Romans chapter 8, and it mentions the Holy Spirit of God 19 times. 19 times. Chapter before... I, me, my. This chapter, Spirit of God. I'll tell you, it's powerful. God's given us something that brings us above all this garbage, brings us right out of carnality, brings us out of the penalty of sin, brings us into victory, brings us into a relationship with God, brings us into his family. It gives us the resurrection. We have so much as children of God, and that's because of the law 
of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life. You know, you're either living by one of two laws. You're either living in the law of sin and death, or you're living in the law of the spirit of life. You can't have both. You've got to choose one. Amen. And once you have the law of the spirit of life, you can never go back. Once you have it, it's yours. And guess what? You won't want to go back. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit in the scriptures many times, even in the Old Testament, you don't hear of him as much because he is a person. In fact, in John 16, 17, you have personal pronouns referring to the Holy Spirit of God. I will send him unto you. He, it's in a masculine form. And so the Spirit of God is not just an essence. It's not just a force, like Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. And so when he is in us, we have a person of the Godhead in us. And if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we also have the Father in us, and we've got Jesus Christ in us. Amen? The whole Godhead is in us. The thing is, the Spirit... In the Old Testament, I guess you could relate it to the Shekinah glory, that aspect of the intangible things of God. You can never put your hand on In fact, the word spirit simply means breath. It's just a breath, you know. How many of you can see a breath? Well, today you can, you know. (laughs) Usually you can't. And so he's invisible. He's invisible in many ways. In fact, he's invisible in such ways where you find it in the scriptures that the Bible says that when I sent him unto you, Jesus said, he will testify of me. So the Holy Spirit doesn't want your glory. He wants to completely point you to the visible aspect of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can't negate the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is working in us. And there's things that he's doing for us that works in, in, in parallel with Christ that really, without him, you would not have what you have. You couldn't be redeemed without the Spirit of God. You couldn't be saved without the Spirit of God. You couldn't be secure without the Spirit of God. I wouldn't be able to preach without the Spirit of God. I mean, he is so important to us But at the same time, he says, I know you need to understand me. You need to give God glory for me. But don't forget this. The subject at hand is God's son, Jesus Christ. Let's keep focusing on the visible aspect of God because that's what's going to ultimately change you into into the image of Christ is by seeing Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Excuse me. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, you would see the priests, they would kill an animal, they would take the blood, then they would, when they would set up the temple or their tabernacle, they would call it consecration. And they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it on all the furniture, and that would consecrate it for the Lord. So there's a sprinkling of blood, but then after that sprinkling of blood and that sacrifice, 
the glory of God would descend upon that temple and abide within it. You know, that's a picture of how the Lord saves you as well. See, the Holy Spirit can't just take up residence in you. He can't just come and spend time in you until it's been consecrated by the sprinkling of the blood. So you have to be purified so that your vessel can receive God inside of you. That's the aspect of being born again. Now, you may not feel worthy of that, but it has nothing to do with your feelings. You say, well, I'm still a sinner, but you don't understand the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you receive Christ as your Savior, what happens is it's just like his blood has been sprinkled to consecrate you, to make you a vessel that God can actually come into. And you see that here in 1 Peter 1, 2. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So there you have the Holy Spirit of God and the blood of Christ, his sacrifice, working together to change your life. Sanctification, that you become set apart to God. Until then, that temple was just a building. It was just stone. It was set up. It looked nice. But until the blood was sprinkled, until the glory of God filled it, now it became a temple consecrated to God. See, for you, until you got saved, you were just a person. And you were a person on your way to hell. But when you received Jesus as your Savior, he brought his blood in. And then God came and took up residence inside of you. You're no longer just the person. You're God's child. You're a consecrated vessel for God's use. You are set apart to the Lord for his purpose. That's what happened when you got saved. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to do God's purpose. But that's what you're consecrated for. That's why he saved you. (laughs) You know, we've got all kinds of movements today. And I've talked to guys, one guy would say, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter about sin, you just believe on Jesus. And I know that's true. Believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. But I want to understand, I want you to understand something. There was something that caused me to go to hell in the first place. What was that? Was it just the absence of Jesus? (laughs) Well, if it was the absence of Jesus, then why was he absent? (laughs) He was absent because of sin in me. So I'm going to tell you something. Your salvation, you've got to understand, it can't just be, well, I just believe in Jesus. (laughs) I know you do believe in him, and you, you probably are saved. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. Your sin was dealt with when Jesus went to the cross. And when you got saved, you received that payment. You you came into a full understanding that the judgment that came upon the Son of God was a judgment that should have been on me. But he took it in my place. See, so it's not just, oh, Jesus. (laughs) It's saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. 
See, <laughs> we were talking in Sunday school about the romantic period of marriage, you know. That's what people want. They don't want the nitty-gritty understanding of the gospel. Your sin, your sin condemns you. Your sin separates you from God. But Jesus came and shed his blood so that not only just you could be saved and say, I'm going to save you, there you go. He says, no, no. I saved you to consecrate you. I saved you to enter into you. I saved you for a purpose that's far beyond just being saved. I saved you that so that you could walk in the righteousness of my God. So that you can live worthy of what the Lord is for you in your life. But you know, people, they don't want that today. I'm saved. That's all I need. You are saved. You are consecrated to God. The blood has been shed and sprinkled on your life. The Spirit of God has come inside of you. He lives inside of you if you're a born-again believer. And if that has not happened in your life, you need to make sure that there's a moment of time where you've understood the sacrifice that's been made for you on that cross, where you finally let go of your religion, you finally stop saying, well, I'm not so bad, <laughs> where you finally realize, I am so bad. I am bad enough that if the Lord threw me into hell, it would be a just thing. It would be justice. Think about that for a second. Justice. If I would burn forever, it would be just and right for that to happen. Well, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, then you need to get saved. See, because you've never seen what Jesus has done for you. Here he had a perfect person the Son of God, who it was not just for him to die for you. But he was just. And the Bible says that the just died for the unjust. What did he do for you? So that he could justify you. The just died for the unjust so that you could be justified. What does it mean to be justified? To stand perfectly righteous before God. How's that going to happen, preacher? I'll tell you how it's not going to happen. By you doing good things. It's by what Jesus did for you on that cross. Do you believe that? You believe with all your heart? Say, yeah, preacher, I've always believed, I believe that since this day, or there was a time where I heard it and I believed it. Well, that was probably the time of your salvation. But if you're sitting there today and saying, I, I don't know if I believe that, I don't know if I've ever made a decision to believe that, well, then you probably need to be saved. You need to receive Christ. You need to realize that he died on that cross in your place. It was unjust to hang him, but it would have been just to hang me there. 
He was just on that cross. I would have been unjust on the cross. But the just died for the unjust. That I could be justified by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, you know. He did that. Then it's not like he just walks away. He says, oh, no, I paid a great price for you, and I'm going to live with you forever. I'm going to live in you forever. And that's that work of the Holy Spirit of God today. The day you received Jesus as your Savior, it wasn't just a religious experience. It was a transaction where there was an empty shell of a person, where God filled that spot that was empty. And he's been there ever since. Say, well, I've had some pretty bad years. That just makes God look good, doesn't it? When you realize how bad you've been and the day you receive Christ, he's been with you every day. He's never left you. He's with you every moment. He's living in you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. The blood of Christ, the sanctification of the spirit. So the spirit of life, and I'm just going to give you one, one point today about the, spirit of, the law of the spirit of life. So either you're living by the law of sin and death, that means somehow you're just going on without the redemption, you're going on without that sprinkling of blood. Well, there's a law that has you, and that's a law of sin, and it's a law of death. That means no matter how much you try to break that law, it's not going to break on you. It's going to continue. So you can say, I'm going to break the law of gravity. And you can put your, you know, make yourself some big wings. And you can get to the top of the building, jump off. Hey, look at me, I'm flying. <laughs> For a little while, ultimately you're going to hit the ground. You can say all you want, you're going to defeat the law of gravity. There's never been a person alive today that has ever defeated the law of gravity. Even though you make yourself a rocket engine that they have to use so many <laughs> thousands of gallons of rocket fuel just to push that piece of metal 50 miles up in the air. <laughs> they still didn't defeat gravity. It's still there. Amen. The law of sin and death means that no matter how religious you think you are, no matter how good you think you're going to be, no matter how sincere you believe you are in your heart, you're not going to break the law of sin and death. Sin will have its day. Death will come. You're not going to stop it. Unless you live by the, the other law the law of the spirit of life. See, that begins with the redemption that's in Christ. That begins with the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, wherever you were here, that all ends. And now you step into something where it has nothing to do with you. It's all about him and what he did for you. 
I was telling someone this week, I was saying, <coughs> there's two messages on the earth when it comes to religion. One is the message of do. And that's what this person believed that I was talking to. They thought they had to do these things. And these things are going to get us to heaven. But then there's a message of done. That whatever needs to be done for my salvation is already complete. So you're either trying to do to make something happen, but the law of sin and death is not going to release you. Or you go to the, uh, the message of done. And that's what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. When he said, it is finished, yeah. it was complete. Nothing left for you. We, we love to pay off things. We love to take credit. There's one thing you will never take credit for, and that's your salvation. No matter how much you dig, one day we're all standing before the Lord, and he would look at us and say, why do you deserve to be here? No matter how much you try to dig inside yourself, you're going to come up with nothing. That's why in Revelation chapter 4, or is it 5, verse 9, the Bible said that all of us are going to see the Lamb and we're going to sing a new song saying, Thou art worthy, for thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. All glory to him. All glory to him. There'll be millions and millions and millions of redeemed Christians that lived by the law of the spirit of life. And we're going to stand up there. We're all going to point in one direction at one particular person. It's going to be the Lamb of God. If you want to get saved today, you got to point to one person. If you point to yourself, you're still in the law of sin and death. The moment you point to Christ and say it's all him, then you've moved over to the law of the spirit of life. Amen? And in the same way that this law could not be broken is the same way that this law cannot be broken. If I receive Christ as my Savior and the redemption that is in him and the Spirit of God comes into my heart, friends, it doesn't matter what that false preacher is preaching. It doesn't matter what your friend says. Oh, you lost your salvation. I don't really care what they say. I'm living by the law of the Spirit of life and it cannot be broken. I have Christ in me, and I don't care what you accuse me of, devil. It doesn't really matter because I'm standing justified before my God. Nothing can break that. Amen? So let me ask you this. Are you saved? Which law? Do you have the Spirit of God in you? The Bible calls it the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Spirit of God. Is he in your heart? Once he's in, he doesn't leave you, by the way. Forever in you. It's a law. Amen? So what what does this Spirit of life do for you? Well, verse number one, we get our first instance of this. 
It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now, the therefore is pointing back to the chapter before to a statement that was made in verse 25. After the Apostle Paul was evaluating his carnality, evaluating his failure, he came up to a conclusion. And that conclusion was this. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How shall I be delivered from the body of this death? That was his final question. How will I be delivered from the body of this death? His next words were, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, therefore, now, therefore, the Bible says, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So that means there's no way a condemnation is a decision against someone, a condemnatory judgment. That means before there was a judgment against you, but now the Bible says there's no condemnatory judgment against you if you're in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to explain this, and this is as far as I'm going to get today because I'm going to have to rest my voice, you know. But I want you to understand this when it comes to Noah. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, I want to read this to you. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen of yet. Does that make sense to you? You ever have God warn you of things not seen yet? What's not seen that he's warning you of? Well, the Bible says that everybody that does not have Christ will be tossed into the lake of fire. There's not a person here that's seen the lake of fire. But you're warned. You're warned about it. But you haven't seen it. Noah was warned about a judgment, a condemnation coming, and he acted upon that warning. Amen? That's what made him a man of faith. Because he had not seen it yet. (laughs) All right? So when you got saved, and you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're trusting Christ on something that you have not seen yet. And that means you got saved by faith. You're trusting that Christ did this for you in the past. You're trusting that he saved you from something that is surely coming in the future. (laughs) Amen? That's called faith. So, we had a condemning judgment against us because of our sin. Same thing as Noah. It was an illustration of this. God looked down at the earth and said, it's wicked. It's not, you can't save it. There's not one child there that would be saved. There's not one person that would receive me. From the littlest to the oldest. So he said, I must destroy it. So by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So what was going to save his house? The ark. 
So what Noah knew by what God said was that there's a judgment coming and the only thing that's going to save your house is if you build an ark. Yeah. Makes sense? That's kind of grade two stuff, isn't it? <laughs> by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah, how did he get saved? Did he get saved because he did something? No, he got saved because he believed something. Yeah. And the Bible says that through that, he became an heir of righteousness. It was given to him as an inheritance. Justified. Amen. So the just for the unjust. Now, it says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. In Christ, that's a positional truth. That means everybody in this room, you're in one of two positions. You're either outside of Christ or you're inside of Christ. All the people in Noah's day, the day that it started raining, there was two positions. You were either outside the ark or you're inside the ark. There's a lot of people outside the ark. Every person that was outside the ark was condemned. Every person that was inside the ark was not condemned. There was no condemnation to those that were in the ark. But there was complete condemnation to every soul outside of the ark. Think about that. I'm just laying this down for you here. So... 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to take your Bibles and go there. <clears throat> so if you're here today and you say, well, I don't want to be condemned. I, I don't want this judgment to be upon me. Well, then the key is of whether you're in Christ or not. Just like in Noah's day, the key was whether they're in the ark or not. Amen. You could have hung on to something on the side of the ark for a little while, but you're going to drown. You can try to climb the highest mountain, but the Bible says that the water raised above the highest point of any mountain. So no matter how much you climbed, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how much strength you think you had, you ultimately would have drowned. Now, I wish they would have known that before the rain fell. But you know what? They denied the warning. The Bible says that Noah preached for 120 years. Warned them over and over. There's judgment coming. They laughed at him. They scoffed him. But Noah kept preaching because he knew what the truth was. He believed it by faith. So 1 Peter 3.18 Here's this verse that I was using before. <coughs> verse 18. <coughs> it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It's a law of the Spirit of life. By which also he went, 
and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, people say all kinds of things about this, but really, the day that Jesus died, he said to the thief on the cross beside him, he said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so when Jesus gave up the ghost and he died, he went straight to this place that was called paradise. Now that place, paradise, wasn't in heaven. It was actually a place in the earth. It was in the place in the locality of Sheol, it's actually, or Hades, which is what we translate as hell. But of course, paradise isn't hell. Within this locality of Sheol was two localities. And one was paradise, and the other was the place of torment. You can go to Luke chapter 16 and hear about the, the rich man, how that when he died and the beggar that was by his gate died, how that the beggar went to Abraham's bosom, which is paradise, but the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. And the Bible says that the rich man in hell saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He could see him. Yet when he lifted up his eyes, he was in complete torment. And he cried out to Lazarus and he said, or to Abraham, because he, he was talking to Abraham. Abraham was the, the father of our faith. He gave us this road to walk. Amen. He says, Abraham, send Lazarus to me that he may dip his finger in water and drop one drop of water on my tongue. That's all he wanted. The answer was, how many times did Lazarus not want something from you? And you wouldn't give him a thing. See, his judgment was just. See, now he wanted a drop of water. He says, no. See, you're an unjust person. You deserve to be in a place of torment. But Abraham said, no, I can't send Lazarus. He says, there's a great gulf that is fixed between us so that those that are there cannot come to us nor we come to you. This is just the way it's got to be. And then the rich man said, well, then at least send Lazarus up from the grave and tell him to tell my brothers not to come to this place of torment. That's why we call that rich man the missionary from hell. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He says, nay, Father Abraham, but if one rise from the dead, surely they will believe. Abraham said, even if one would rise from the dead, they will not believe. You understand the power of that? We're living in a day today where churches, it's called power evangelism. They believe you have to first show the miracle working hand of God before they actually believe the gospel. The scriptures plainly teach against that. Yeah. You guys ever heard of somebody that was raised from the dead? We have all heard. <laughs> You've all heard, you know that. Oh, did you hear that somebody in South America was raised from the dead? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I've heard. You think it would have made a little more of a splash? Nobody's getting saved because people are raised from the dead. I could die in front of you 
and be raised in front of you, it's not going to give you a believing heart. If you have an unbelieving heart, it will remain in unbelief until you simply believe what God has told you in his word. If you're not going to believe this, you're not going to believe anything. You'll always have a reason not to. <laughs> you know, That's what the rich man said. And of course, the rich man left off in conversation and went on to an eternity where even today he's still in that same place just wishing for one drop of water on his tongue. It's one drop. I've taken several drinks since I've been here, and it's been very helpful to me. Every time I take a drink, I say, well, that's really good. <laughs> he wishes all he had was that. Yet in this life, he was so rich, he had everything. But in hell, one drop. See, it changes your value system when you see that. One drop of water becomes greater than billions and billions and billions of dollars. One drop of water. That's what hell will do. Noah, when he heard the warning, he moved with fear. Because he placed value on that warning by faith before he saw it. Amen? And I'm glad if you're saved here today that you don't have to wait to see it, <laughs> to believe it. You've already believed it. Amen? So, here I was getting to this point. <laughs> he went and preached unto the spirits in the prison. Who is in the prison? He goes on to say, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So basically what it's saying is this, that Jesus went down, into paradise and began speaking across the gulf to the souls that were there in the day of Noah and gave them the word that was going to be brought up before them at the great white throne. You know. You knew and you chose not to believe. Wow. Jesus didn't go to hell. There's some teachings out there today by some of these name it and claim it groups that teach that Jesus had to go burn in hell. It's not true. The death that he needed to experience, he already experienced it on the cross. The death of his body, but also the separation of his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experienced that hell in the moment that his father turned his back on him. And the Bible says the, the sky went dark for the period of several hours because God could not look on his son because of the sin, your sin. That was the penalty. The place of torment is not necessarily the penalty. The penalty is that you can never be with God again. The penalty is that you're separated from him forever. Yes. And anything good that you have, whether it be light, love, graciousness, happiness, anything that even a lost person on this earth can experience is because God is still present. But hell is a place where God is not present. That's why it's a place of utter darkness. 
because God is light. That's why it's a place of hatred and abomination because God is love. See, the world doesn't understand that the reason they can kiss their baby on the forehead being a lost person is because God is alive and present. And he's working on them day after day. And he, he, he lets rain fall on them, on the just and on the unjust, the Bible says. But there's a day that God withdraws. That's the penalty. How can you expect to live with God in eternity when you want to keep your sin? God is holy. The future that we have is holy. The heaven that we have is holy. The new heaven and the new earth. The Bible says nothing will enter therein that shall defile. You're making the choice to, see, to have sin rather than salvation. <laughs> sin rather than salvation. Because your sin is keeping you from him. Amen? He's not looking, I want to throw you into hell. He's saying, I've sent my son to take away your sin. Please let him do it. Please let him do it. Amen? Now it goes on to say that the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was a preparing, that means God made it that that ship took 120 years or so to build. And every day Noah would get up and preach a message to the people. And as long as he was building that ark, there was time for them to repent. But the day came where the last nail was driven in, where it was complete. And Noah's messages stopped. And that's when the rain fell. It says, wherein, it says, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So what does that mean? It, the subject is the ark. The ark was preparing, wherein eight souls were saved. Wherein eight souls were saved. They were risen above the water because they were in the ark. You see, there's one thing that will keep the condemnation of hell away from you, and that's being inside Christ. Yeah. He is the ark. In fact, this ark is a type of Christ. The Bible says in, in Genesis that when Noah sealed the boards, he used what was called pitch. And the Hebrew word for pitch is the same word that's used for atonement. So it was, it was the atonement that sealed in the ark. Amen. So the ark is a picture of Christ. Now the next verse says this. It says the like figure. So in the Bible, when you're doing Bible studies and it mentions a figure, what it's saying is I'm showing you something that I'm trying to relate to what the truth is. But this thing I'm showing you is just a figure. It's just a typology. It's just a picture, you see? The, the ark was a like figure 
whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Oh, there we go. I got to get baptized in water. I'm going to be saved. Is that what it says there? In fact, the people that are baptized in water were on the other side of the ark. (laughs) No, the baptism it's talking about here, the word baptism means to be placed into. So the like figure is this. Just like those eight souls were placed into that ark, it was a like figure that baptism that you were placed into Christ by spiritual baptism. That's what the Spirit of God did for you. It says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. So it's saying, not the washing of your body in water, (laughs) but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there he says it. He says, I'm not talking about the physical ordinance of getting washed in in the bathtub. What I'm talking about is the answer of your conscience to God's prompting in your heart. Now, I'll explain to you what that means. I'll give you one verse here first. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So, When you got saved, you were placed into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark is a figure of what happened when you got saved, when you're baptized into Christ's body. You see, that's what saved them from the the flood. That's what saves you from the judgment that comes on your life. And so I'm going to give you one more passage here in John chapter 3. Verse number 17, you know, verse 16. Can you guys recite that with me? For God so loved the world. Now look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, inside, outside, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So, the answer of a good conscience. Every one of us, when we were born, we were not born as bad as you actually are. Because the Lord left you some light. (laughs) He touched your soul. He gave you a conscience. He gave you the ability to understand right and wrong. No matter where you're born throughout the whole planet, even the farthest reaches of the jungles of Africa, you'll find people there that will understand right and wrong. That's the conscience. So the answer, every person gets an equal opportunity 
And I know I've grown up in an area and some of the doctrines within the Mennonite religion, oh, well, you know, God wouldn't send somebody that's in the jungles to hell because, you know, that would just be unjust. So if they didn't hear it, then they're automatically saved. Is that true? No. So you're telling me that the person that's hidden in the jungle, they're going to go to hell? That's a hard question, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is that every person, no matter where you are on this planet, has been given light. And if you answer that light with a good conscience, the Bible says that the Lord will bring you what you need to take you the rest of the way. I have a hard time believing that all those souls in the promised land, when Israel went in, God just has killed them all. Now, we would look at that and say, that's so unjust. But you know, the Bible says that God withheld Abraham from going there too soon because of the, ta- the time of the Amorites was not yet full. What that means is that the complete condemnation is not complete yet, but when the time was right, he sent them in to destroy them because he knew at that point none of them would ever get saved. It's not that God just destroys. Every person on this planet has the equal ability to be born again. All they have to do is answer their conscience, a good conscience. That means that one African uh, leader that was in a tribe, they said that what he did is he, every day he would climb up this tree, a tall tree, and he'd cry out because he knew there was a God. Because God put that in you to know. And he'd cry out every day. He says, I know you're there. And he knew that the God that they already knew of, the name Satan, they already knew the name Satan before any missionary got to their village. And he was the God that they were worshiping. And many people would worship Satan. But there were some that had a good conscience. Say, no, that's not God. That cannot be God. And so in an answer to the good conscience, he cried up and he said, God, show me. One day, through a series of events, I think maybe even it was maybe a wrong decision by the missionary, he ended up in this village. And he was a Texan, had cowboy boots and a cowboy hat in the middle of the jungle. (laughs) And he walks into this village, and here's this man. This man that's been crying. Show me. And God sent him a messenger. Folks, 
Nobody's getting saved without the gospel. I don't care how remote they are. If they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not be saved. I don't care if they've been kept in a hole for 30 years. They will not be saved. But this is what I do know, that God loved them enough in their unjust and wicked state. He says, I will not let you be alone. I'm giving you my light that when you answer me, I will come. But those that love evil, says those that love their sin and love their evil, they don't want the light. They want to turn down that light. They want to shut down the light. And we live in a world today where people, it's not the ones I'm worried about that are in the jungle. It's the ones I worry about right here in our streets. We got churches in every corner. Yet they love their sin. And they speak against the preachers and they speak against the Bible and they turn against the, the gospel. And, and you, you, they're telling you, I'm not answering with a good conscience. Yeah. They are the same spirit that was outside of that ark that day. The same spirit that looked at Noah said, just shut up, preacher. Shut your mouth. We don't need to hear your warnings. We're okay by ourselves. I got everything I need right here. I'm in charge. Until the first drop fell. You understand that? I don't ever want anybody in this church to say, oh, a person doesn't necessarily have to receive Christ to be saved. If they couldn't hear, well then, no, no. <laughs> what condemns a person is whether they're willing to come to the light. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. And I've told you about that one Mennonite man the one day he was a young man, probably about 22, 23 years old. And I went to him and I wanted to give him the gospel. And I knew he went to the old colony church and I knew he went to some of these older religions that taught a works-based salvation. And I tried to tell him about what Jesus did for him. And he just says, just be quiet. My preacher said that the more I hear the more I'm responsible for, so I don't want to hear it. It's not truth. This is the truth. That day light came to him. And he loved his darkness rather than his light. That's the truth. This is the condemnation. That light has come to you Instead of going to it and embracing it, you're turning away from it. However you want to justify your reasoning, it doesn't matter. There's not a person on this planet, the Bible says, for he lighteth every man that cometh into the world in John chapter 1. Titus chapter 2, for the grace 
that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All. There's no universal salvation. There's no salvation for the ignorant. There is salvation for the innocent. That means little babies that die, aborted babies, children that haven't reached the age of accountability, innocent in their understanding, a five-year-old woman that's 55 years old, but God shut down her ability to have understand anything at five years old because of scarlet fever. Like I talked to you in the Sunday school hour. When she died, her face didn't have one wrinkle. She was 55 years old. The doctor said that her organs were like a teenager. No stress. She lived life like a five-year-old. <laughs> Don't you wish you were five? <laughs> no stress. But she still died. But she never had the understanding of her sin nature. Safe in the hands of Jesus. Amen. She never had the, dis- the ability to choose between light and darkness. Do you have the ability to choose? Then you're responsible. You need to choose the light. It's the only way to get into the ark. Amen? Then the Bible says that law of the spirit of life will place you into Jesus. Forever protected, preserved, the Bible says in the book of Jude, preserved in Christ Jesus. That be your position for the rest of your days. In the ark. Amen? Let's bow our hands. I know this message has a lot to do with a person being lost. And the application would directly apply to anybody here that maybe does not know for sure if they would die today that they would go to heaven. You need to settle that because you've been given light. The Lord's been gracious to you. He's turned on the light for you. But you need to respond. Those that don't respond, stay out of the ark. They're already condemned. But if you want no condemnation, then you need to be placed into Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. If you're here today, you'd say, Preacher, the Lord is convicting my heart that I need to give an answer to God about this gospel truth, that I need to settle my salvation because the light has been turned on. And I just want you to pray for me. Is there one like that? You'd say, Preacher, I believe I need to be saved. Could you just pray for me? Will you just slip up your hand real quick? Like nobody's looking. I'm the only one looking. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out to anybody. I just want to know if I need to pray for somebody here about your salvation. Do you need to be saved? Say, yeah, preacher, that's me. 
Just put it up and down. Christian, I don't know exactly how the Lord is going to use this in your life other than to put a great, powerful gratefulness in your heart and an understanding that this isn't just about me just believing in Jesus and going on with my life. This is making me a vessel usable to God. He's changed me. He's consecrated me. He's got a purpose for me. He loves me. And he wants me to surrender my life to him. Maybe as a Christian, you've never truly said, Lord, I I just want to do your will. I don't know exactly what that means. I just want to let you know. I want to start following you. And I want to follow after the purpose.